you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 this morning. We are continuing our study through this tremendous epistle inspired by God through his servant, the Apostle Paul, and we are reaching some tremendous texts that are found in this book. Let's read together from Philippians 1, verses 18 to 26 this morning, and the title of this message is Joy in the Face of Death. Joy in the Face of Death. Paul says this, I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. To, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, if you've been with us in our study, you know that the key phrase that ties this passage together is what Paul says in verse 18. I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Philippians is the epistle of joy. Paul is writing this epistle to communicate his joy to the Philippian believers. In verses 3 to 11, he communicates his joy in the Philippians' fellowship. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. In verses 12 to 18, Paul expresses his joy in his present circumstances. He says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I am in chains, but I am rejoicing. I'm afflicted by critics, but I am rejoicing. The gospel is advancing. Christ is being proclaimed. And so it doesn't matter what happens to me. I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Now, In verse 19, we have a transi transition of thought. Paul transitions his focus from joy in his present circumstances to joy in his future prospects. Paul looks at the future, and he contemplates his future court date in Rome. He contemplates the possibility that he will be executed as a result of this court date. He stares the reality of death in the face, and he says, I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. This book finds us with Paul awaiting trial in Rome. He's already stood trial three times in the course of this narrative. 
He's appeared before Ananias, the high priest, in Acts chapter 23. He's appeared before the governor Felix in Acts chapter 24. He has appeared before the regional king Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. Paul is a Roman citizen. He has appealed his case to Rome. He's been transported by ship to Rome. And now he awaits final trial and sentencing. And in this passage, he contemplates this final court date before the authorities in Rome. And the very real possibility that it will end in his execution. And he says... I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Now, brothers and sisters, we are talking here about some serious joy. I mean, it's one thing to rejoice when circumstances don't go your way and life finds you disappointed. It's one thing to rejoice when people are mean to you in the church and there are critics out there who are seeking to attack you and bring you down. And it is another thing to stare the reality of death straight in the face and to sit on death row as it were and to say I am filled with joy despite the prospects of death. As we come to this text, let me shepherd you for a moment and say that a sober reflection on the reality of death is key to us living a wise and godly life. Coming to grips with the reality of death is foundational to how we live in this world. Moses said this in Psalm 90 verse 10. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 7.2. He said, it is better to go into the house of mourning than to go into the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. I know I'm speaking to many people who are in your 20s and your 30s, and the reality of death is not pressing upon you at this moment. You actually didn't expect to hear a message on death this morning. And I would caution you with the words of James 4.13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for little time and then vanishes. Steve Jobs, the CEO of Apple, died this week, as you know. And in a commencement speech given at Stanford University, he said this, Death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. Your time is limited. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. Now, I don't know if Jobs was speaking from a Christian perspective, but I think he got that right. Death is the reality for all who live, and the key to living a Godly life is embracing the reality of death with sobriety. In our passage, we find three specific ways that Paul faced the reality of death. Three specific desires that Paul had 
in this moment as he faced potential execution. The first desire is found in verses 19 to 20. Paul desired to honor Christ. He desired to honor Christ. Verse 19, he says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That last phrase really is the essence of what Paul is saying here. He is saying, I want Christ to be honored in my body. And you will note the phrase, whether by life or by death, I don't know if I'm going to live. And I don't know if I'm going to die. And to tell you the truth, that is not my primary concern. My primary concern is that whether I live or whether I die, I honor Christ. That's my focus. That's my desire. Most of us sitting on death row would be praying that the judge would be lenient, or we would be praying that our appeal would be approved, or we would be praying that there would be a stay in the execution. And Paul says, none of that is my primary desire. It it doesn't matter to me if I live. It doesn't matter to me if I die. What matters to me is that I honor Christ, whether by life or by death. That is my desire. He says in verse 20, it is my eager expectation. The word literally, if you can picture it, pictures a a neck that's stretched out with longing. Paul's neck is stretched out with longing towards this one desire. He wants to honor Christ. And he says, my eager expectation is that I will not be at all ashamed In other words, I don't want to cause any shame for the testimony of Christ. I want to keep my integrity. I want to keep a clear conscience. I want to go to this trial and not compromise. I don't want to be timid. I don't want to say anything that would dishonor Christ for the fear of my own life. And I'm stretched out with this one longing to honor Christ. He says in verse 20, that with full courage, literally open speech, Boldness in the face of affliction. As always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Many of you have heard the testimony of Pastor Yusuf Nadarkhani, a pastor in Iran. He is facing execution by hanging for his faith in Christ. Pastor Yusuf is a married man and a father of two And when told by the Iranian court that he must recant his faith in Jesus Christ, he said this, Repent means to return. What should I return to? To the blasphemy that I had before my faith in Christ? When the court ordered him to return to the religion of your ancestors, Pastor Yusuf replied, I cannot. You see, that was the type of full courage, the bold speech that Paul desired to express at the time of his trial in Rome. 
And he says, this is my eager expectation. I want to honor Christ, and if it means I live, then I live. And if it means I die, then I die. But my desire is to honor him. He says in verse 19, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. That's a confident statement. Whether by life or death, I know that this, this present trial will turn out for my, and the Greek word is soteria, my salvation. Uh, Some say that Paul's referring to temporal deliverance in this text. He's saying, I know that I will be acquitted at this trial. Others say he's referring to spiritual deliverance in this text. He's saying that if I die, I will go into the presence of Jesus and I will be delivered from the presence of sin and living in this world. I believe both ideas are contained in Paul's statement. I believe this is a general statement of future confidence. Paul is saying, no matter what happens, this will turn out for my deliverance. And really, brothers and sisters, if you think about it, there's only two options. He can either live, and if he lives, then he's delivered from execution, and he's allowed to continue in his ministry, or he can die, and if he dies, then he goes straight into the presence of Christ, and he's delivered from having to live in this world. And Paul says, you know what? It doesn't matter whether I live or die. This will turn out for my deliverance. And that's why Paul could say that living and dying is not my primary concern. My primary concern is to honor Christ. Look at verse 19. He says this whole process will happen through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's a gentle reminder to the Philippian church that they are to be praying for him. He told them in verses 3 to 11 that he is praying for them. Now they are to pray for him. And as they pray for him, as they offer the word is specific petitions on his behalf, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will be given to his heart. He will be emboldened, strengthened, empowered by the Holy Spirit as an answer to their prayers. And and as a result of the Spirit's ministry, he will be able to give bold testimony at his trial and not compromise the gospel. And he will be enabled to honor Christ. Paul looks at the court date that is to come and he says, I just want to honor Christ. That's all I want. Just let me honor him. This is my one request and one desire. And as we look at this desire, let me say to us that we don't need to face execution to adopt this mindset in our own lives. Brothers and sisters, may this be our mindset as we face situations in our lives because the truth is like Paul we cannot control circumstances you and I can't control whether we live or die you and I cannot control whether we are sick or in health we can't control whether we fail or succeed we can't control whether doors open or close we can't control 
any of those things. We cannot control the outcome of our lives. What we can do is with Paul, we can say that, Lord, this is my singular desire, that no matter what happens, let me honor you. Lord, grant to me the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that no matter what happens in my life, I would honor you. And if that means things go well or things go poorly, let me honor you in every, any and every circumstance. The truth is that this perspective simplifies our lives tremendously. I can't control my life. I can't control how my kids are going to turn out. I can't control if I am going to be poor or rich. I can't control where I'm going to live. I can't control if I'm going to be sick or if I'm going to be healthy. I can't control any of those things. Paul couldn't control any of those things either. But he says, I just want to honor Christ. May that be our heart's desire as well. Paul faced the prospect of death with a first desire, and that was to honor Christ. He had a second desire, which he gives to us in verse 21. Paul not only wanted to honor Christ, but Paul also wanted to be with Christ. He wanted to be with Christ. In verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You say, Paul, how can you face death with this singular desire just to honor him? How can you say, I don't care if I live or die? How can not, you not be pleading for the judge to stay your execution? He says, verse 21, for, here's the reason. Here is my perspective. For me, my personal confession, to live is Christ. The text literally reads, living Christ. Living Christ. That's my life. It's all about him. It's all about Christ. I live my life because of Christ. I live my life for Christ. I live my life to love Christ. I live my life to, love, to know Christ. Living Christ. That is the summation of my life. Now, brothers and sisters, let me submit to you that I believe that Almost everyone in this world can make a statement like this. Everyone has a summary statement that they could sum up their life in one singular passion or one singular reason. For some, living is career. I mean, that's just why they live. Is that's why they get up in the morning. That's what gets their passions running is to climb the corporate ladder. Life is career. For some, living is success. For some, living is education. For some, living is their children's education. For some, living is relationships, friendships, parties, good times. Everyone has a summary statement. Everyone has a core value in life that would summarize why they live and what motivates them in their everyday life. When I was in college, if you were to ask me, Dan, what is life to you? I would have said, dude, life 
is rock and roll. I live to rock out. I mean, I do other things in life. I, I go to school. I study sometimes. But my life is basically blah, 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 blah. And then Friday night, I get to rock out. Living. Rock and roll. I mean, that was the summation of my life. And, and I think everyone could say something like this. Everyone has a different motivation. For some, life is sports. For some, life is partying. For some, life is food. For some, life is hobbies, fashion, recreation, shopping. And I submit to you that none of these things are wrong in and of themselves. But at the same time, none of these things are a reason to live. None of these things can bring ultimate joy, and none of these things can bring ultimate satisfaction. What Paul is doing here is he's boiling down life to the root passions and desires that make life worthwhile, and he's saying, to me, to me, living is Christ. That's the summation of my life. And I don't think it was that Paul had such tremendous willpower that he was able to live this way. I think it was that Paul had come to a place in his knowledge of Christ where he saw the surpassing value of Christ over everything else in this world. He had come to know Christ in such a way that he saw that knowing Jesus makes everything else look dumb. I mean, it's like when I was a kid, my teacher gave me a little candy. I thought that candy was the most valuable thing in the world. I won the treasure. I have a peppermint candy. I'm rich. And then you get older and you realize, you know, that candy is worth two cents. I don't even like candy anymore. It's not that the candy is bad, it's that you've seen that there are more important things in life. And I think Paul came to the point in his life where he's saying, you know, all these other things, food and fashion and, and, and money and, and making a success, I mean, those are good, they're not bad, but you know what, there's something so much greater. And that is just Christ. It's just knowing Christ. Chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He says, I have found the treasure. I know what life is about. It's about Christ. I have found the pearl of great price. It is Christ. And he says, everything else in my life, I've lost it all. And you know what? I'm not sitting there pouting over all these things that I've lost. I'm looking at them and I'm saying it's rubbish, it's dung, it's refuge, not in and of themselves, but in comparison, in comparison to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. 
Everything else pales. And so he says, for me to live is Christ. Now, I think that you and I can, as Christians, speaking to Christians here, I think that most Christians could say this. Most Christians could say, for me to live is Christ. I mean, we love Christ. We worship Christ. We're here because of Christ. We live for Christ. But I think for most Christians, myself included, we would sneak an addendum into that statement. And we would say, if we're honest, for me to live is Christ plus something. For me to live is Christ plus my plans, my preferences, life turning out the way that I want it to go. For me to live is Christ plus this thing that I just really want to happen. And I believe the essence of repentance is taking whatever that addendum is and forsaking it in light of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. It's not in saying like that's a wrong addendum. It's, it's just saying like reasoning with you and saying, look, compare whatever is in your blank to Christ. I mean, just compare it to Christ. Is not Christ so much more valuable than whatever it is in your blank. Paul said, for me to live is Christ plus or minus nothing. And because for him to live what life was Christ, he could say in verse 21, to die is gain. Gain, a commercial term referring to a profitable Transaction. Listen, if your life is defined by anything other than Christ, then death is not gain for you. Death is loss. If your life is about money, if your life is about success, if your life is about degrees, if your life is about family, then when you die, you will leave those things behind. And death is loss. But if you say with Paul, for me to live is Christ, it is Christ, it is nothing but Christ, then you can also say with Paul, to die is gain. Because what do I get when I die? I get more of Christ. I get more of the person that I'm living for and longing for and striving after. I get more of him. And to tell you the truth, I get the fulfillment of all my hopes and dreams because I get to go into the presence of Christ. Verse 23, Paul says, My desire, my epithemia, my strong compulsion is to depart and to be with Christ. Those two ideas are presented as a singular package. Departing from this life is to be with Christ. In other words, when we die and depart from this world, we go immediately into the presence of Jesus Christ. 
There's no such thing as soul sleep. There's no such thing as an intermediary period. You don't go into a holding tank and you wait for a number of years. You go directly into the presence of Christ when you die, if you are a Christian. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. And Paul says that, I have this strong desire. I mean, it's burning in my heart. I want to depart. Tell you the truth, I want to die because departing is to go right into the presence of Christ. And who am I living for? It is Christ. And who am I longing for? It is Christ. And so for me, death is gain because death brings me right into his presence. And as 1 John 3, 3 indicates, when we are in the presence of Christ, we will be glorified and made to be like Christ, for we shall see him as he is. Paul says, I want to depart. Tell you the truth, I just want to be with Christ. And he uses this term, depart, which is a reference to the breaking down of tents. Some say that Paul, the tent maker, is using his vocational language here. It was used to describe a military camp breaking up their tents. I mean, you've been camping. Some of you have spent a week camping. What do you do when you go camping? You put up a tent. You live for a week in that tent. But you know that's not your permanent Residence, that's just a temporary stay. And you have a good time there camping, but at the end of the week, what do you, you break up the tents, you put it in your car, and you head home to your real home. What Paul is saying here is that death, to me, is the breaking down of my temporary tent. And it is heading towards my real home destination. 2 Corinthians 5.1 For we know that if the tent that in our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He says, my strong desire is to break up this tent and to head to my permanent destination, which is to be with Christ. And then he says in verse 23, That is far better. It's far better to be with Christ. Brothers and sisters, it is far better to be with Christ. Malon Chrysan in the Greek, it's a double comparative expressing the highest superlative. Paul is saying, it is by far the best to be with Christ. saying it is much rather better to be with Christ. It far surpasses anything in this world to be with Christ. In fact, the greatest joys and pleasures that you experience in this world are merely a foretaste of the joy that you will have when you are in the presence of Christ. It is so much better to be with Christ I'll be honest with you, I want to depart. 
I want to leave this world because Christ is my surpassing treasure. You know, it reminds me of when I travel overseas, and I'm getting so much weaker and weaker of tra- when I'm traveling. I think the longer I'm married and the more I love my wife, the more it's just so hard to travel and to be away from her. And I'm just, I'm a wreck. I'm counting down the days till I can come home. When I get on the plane and I'm traveling back to L.A., I'm counting down the hours. I'm counting down the miles. I keep checking that thing on the airplane that's, oh, man, 100 more miles to go. And I'm just dying to get home. And, and it's not because I love L.A. so much. I mean, I do, but that's, that's not what compels me. It's that my loved one is home. And I can't wait to depart from wherever I am so that I can be with her. As long as we are here in this world, we as Christians are away from home. We are away from our real home. And our real home is not just about a place. Our real home is about a person. Our real home is to be with the one who we love the most. Our real home is to be with the one who loves us the most. And I just tell you, brothers and sisters, that the longer I'm a Christian, the more this is, this is just true. I mean, the longer you grow as a Christian, the more you see that, you know, this world is just not our home. And the more you come to know Christ, the more you see that he is the ultimate satisfaction in our lives. And nothing, nothing in this world compares to knowing him. All those little trinkets that we used to hold so dear, it's not that they're bad. It's just when you measure it up to Christ, they're just, they're just rubbish. It is so much better to be with Christ. And the more I grow as a Christian, I trust the more you grow as a Christian, the more God puts in you that desire that you're just saying, Lord, I can't wait. I, mean, I just can't wait to be with you. I, just, I, mean, I see you dimly today, but I want to see you face to face. I want to be in your presence. I want to know the fullness of your beauty and your love. And I want to be like Christ. I mean, I'm tired of struggling with my flesh. I just want to be with Christ and be like Christ. Paul says, this is my desire. He stared death in the face and he said, I just want to honor Christ, whether I live or die. He stared death in the face and he said, tell you the truth, I'd rather die because death is gain to me and I want to be with Christ. You might be saying, well, Paul, did you have some kind of morbid fascination with death? Are you being selfish here? Is this an unbalanced desire? And we move to the third and final desire. 
that he expresses. He desired to be useful for Christ. He desired to be useful for Christ. Verse 22, he says, If I am in the f- to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul describes these competing pressures that he's facing as a Christian. On one hand, he desires to go and to be with Christ. That is far better. But on the other hand, pulling him in the opposite direction are the opportunities that he has in this life to give himself away in fruitful ministry. He says, verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, live in the body, that means fruitful labor for me. The one compelling reason Paul had to stay on this earth was the opportunity to engage in fruitful labor for the sake of the gospel. This was his compelling reason to stay. All of life was an opportunity for gospel ministry. I mean, he just looked at life and he saw so many people who needed Christ, so many believers who needed teaching. He saw the opportunities to plant churches. He saw opportunities to teach doctrine and root the church in the word of God. He saw that the church needed leadership, needed care, needed ministry. And he says, I have this desire that's pulling me to stay. And that desire is fruitful labor. You will note here, he does not say fruitless labor. God not only gives the opportunity for service, but God gives fruitfulness in the service. Brothers and sisters, our labor is not in vain. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. Paul says, life for me is giving myself away in gospel ministry. It is the opportunity to make an eternal impact. That's what compelled him to stay. It wasn't the prospects of a better job. It wasn't the prospects of a nicer home. It wasn't the prospects of a nicer retirement. Those aren't the things that drove him to stay on this earth. What drove him to stay, if I could sum it up really simply, was the church. He had a compelling desire to stay and to minister to the church because he knew that the church needed him. Life to him was an opportunity to make an eternal difference. And may I say this, that brothers and sisters, everything better is better than heaven. Everything's better in heaven. The worship's better in heaven. The fellowship's better in heaven. The relationships are better in heaven. The music's better in heaven. When we get to the resurrected earth and our resurrected bodies, I believe the sports are going to be better in heaven. Everything is better than heaven. Some of you brothers make fun of me because I can't play basketball. And I say, wait till we get to heaven. (laughs) 
Pastor Dan, why can't you play basketball? It's, it's the curse. It's the curse of sin. But one day, the curse will be removed. And once I get my resurrected body, I, I can't wait. I mean, everything is better in heaven. Everything except one thing is better here on earth. And that's the opportunities to make an eternal difference. It's the opportunities to labor for the sake of the church. For Paul, he says, for me, life is fruitful labor. And I have these competing desires. They're just pulling me in opposite directions. In verse 22, he says, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I mean, which do I choose? Go to be with Christ, stay and serve for Christ. I don't know. I am, verse 23, hard pressed. The word means to be hemmed in on two sides. I'm being pressured from two opposite directions because to desire, to depart and to be with Christ is far better, but to remain is more necessary on your account. Paul faced this dilemma in life. And I believe every Christian, the more you grow as a Christian, the more you feel this dilemma because the more you grow as a Christian, the more you desire to go and to be with Christ. And the more you grow as a Christian, the more you grow in love for the church and the more you see the opportunities there are to serve and the more you understand how many people need Christ and how many believers need help. And you're just compelled in two directions and you don't know what to choose. And so you just say, I'll leave that up to God. But as long as God has me here, I will honor Christ. And I will engage in fruitful labor for his sake. He says to remain on the flesh is more necessary for you. It's for you that I'm staying. It wasn't for himself. Brothers and sisters, why do you stay in this earth? What compels you to live? It is, is it because of your desires, your priorities, or is it because you want to expend yourself on behalf of others? It says in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. That faith, that's an interesting statement because in verse 20, it seemed like he didn't know if he was going to live or die. He says, whether it is if I live or die, in verse 25, it seems that he becomes convinced that he is going to stay. And most commentators point out that this is a, a, an abrupt transition here. And what Paul seems to do is he comes to the place where he realizes that his ministry to the Philippians is not completed yet. And he comes to a personal conviction that the Lord will allow him to stay until he's completed his ministry. And so in verse 26, he says, So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He envisions a joyful reunion with the Philippian church where they all praise and give glory to Jesus Christ because of Christ's goodness to them. Church history tells us that Paul did experience freedom and he was allowed to live for Christ. He is allowed to live for two to four years after this imprisonment. He continues to expend himself in fruitful labor. And at the end of his life, he says in 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. 
How is it possible that Paul could face the most difficult trial that any man would ever face in this life? The prospect of death itself and turn it into something so triumphant. How could he sit on death row and turn it into something so encouraging, so joyful? It is because Paul knew Christ. It is because Paul knew who Jesus was, and it was because Paul knew what Jesus has done. You see, the gospel message is this, brothers and sisters, that Christ has come into this world to deliver us from the power of death. He died our death on the cross in order to take away the sting of death so that death to us is not loss, it is gain. It is only the entrance into heavenly glory. That's the good news of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Death for the believer is not the end. It is only the beginning of a glorious new life with Christ, one that endures forever and ever. At the end of his seven-part series in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis writes a chapter entitled Farewell to Shadowlands. On the last page, Aslan, the Christ figure, says softly, there was a real railway accident. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it, in the Shadowlands dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And then Lewis writes one of the most beautiful paragraphs in all literature. He says, And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the thing that began to happen were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. This is the experience of death for the Christian, to live as Christ and to die is gain. Let's bow in prayer together. O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Father, we praise you that Christ has won the victory over death. And he has done so by submitting himself to death at the cross. We thank you that through faith in him, we can look at the prospect of death, of death and say with Paul that we rejoice. Death is gain to us will only usher us into Christ's presence. And Father, we pray, O oh Lord, that that would be the burning desire in our hearts is to be with Christ. And while you give us breath on this earth, Lord, help us to honor Christ. Help us to be useful for Christ. Help us to expend ourselves in fruitful labor for the sake of the gospel, that Christ's name would be exalted in the church. 
Do your work in each of our hearts, we pray. In Christ's name.